Welcome to GovCast, keeping up with federal IT's top decision makers. I'm Alexander Bolova, production lead at GovCIO Media and Research. With me today is Editor-in-Chief Amy Kluber. Hi, Amy. Hey. So you had the opportunity to chat with Susan Wolfenbarger, Locate Team Lead at the State Department. I guess my first question for you is, what is the Locate Team? Well, Locate Team is super interesting. So Susan kind of was instrumental in launching this team at the State Department. And LOCATE, of course, is an acronym. It's the Location-Based Observations for Conflict Analysis, Trends, and Evidence. So they're at the State Department, and they're doing some really cool things with data analytics. And um, Susan, who I met at a conference earlier this year, she's doing some interesting work in that space, and I thought she was a perfect candidate for this interview. So tell me more about Susan. If I recall correctly, she didn't really have a traditional career trajectory to where she is today, right? That's part of what stood out to me for sure. She got started in geography. And, you know, something you'll hear about in the interview is like, how did that lead you to the State Department and doing the kind of work that her team is doing around the war in Ukraine? And I think it's just so fascinating to kind of touch base on not only like how technology is enabling missions like those at state and this, you know, very timely situation that's happening across the world right now, but also like kind of that journey to their positions. So she has a very heavy research background and she got very interested in geography and then she kind of made that move into geospatial tech and using tech in order to understand the world a little bit better. And so I think it's very impactful and very mission driven. Yeah, definitely. So what are some of the new developments that her team has been working on? One of the newest developments that came out, which is pretty incredible, and I I can't wait till you listen to the interview because she kind of goes into it a little bit better than I can explain it as far as technology is helping the state accomplish a lot of its missions in Ukraine and this war with Russia. So one of the things that's really interesting with the Locate team is they have this effort that is more of a collaboration with academia and industry. It's called the Conflict Observatory, and they are doing a lot of data analytics work that is helping capture, analyze, and make available to the public and decision makers across government evidence of Russia perpetrated war crimes. And when you think about war crimes, like that's pretty heavy stuff. And she'll go into it more. You'll hear like what all they're analyzing and things like that. But one of the recent things that came out that we're going to talk more about is the report that was put together with the tracking and mapping of data out of her team that is tracking the re-education and adoption of Ukraine's children, where um, Russia is kind of uh, migrating Ukraine children to indoctrinate them with their agenda, which is pretty concerning when you're talking about children. So the news was apparently there's more than 6,000 children in Russia's custody. They've been doing a lot of analysis on like how many facilities there are doing this. The news report says 43. And, you know, that's pretty concerning when you're talking about the war that's happening right now. She also shared some information 
that um, their work led to, you know, two arrests in this situation. So you can see the connection between, you know, the data analytics work, not only making available some of these observations, but it leading to important efforts to combat it and overcome it. So I'm really excited about this interview. I think Susan's fascinating. She has a really strong background in research and geography. And the fact that she's kind of leading a lot of this effort over at state is really incredible. Yeah, that's really incredible work that's being done. And honestly, we don't get to hear about work like this on the podcast very often and stuff that is having such a real world impact. So I think we shouldn't wait any longer. Let's take a listen to your interview. Well, Susan, thanks so much for joining me on GovCast. Great to have you. I'm really looking forward to learning more about some of your analytics work at State. Thanks for having me. So I know you have quite a bit of a geospatial background. Is that what led you to State to begin with? Yeah, it really was. I have been, I'm a geographer by training and I focus on uh, remote sensing. So analyzing satellite imagery. And I had been working in the, the nonprofit sector for a number of years doing human rights investigations and war crimes investigations and, and thinking about how you can actually use geospatial data as evidence in court cases and also about how civilians are using these technologies more and more. So how they're monitoring conflicts and, and getting information out of it, locations that are often too dangerous to go to uh, physically on the ground. And so I, I was really focused on a lot of those types of things. And then I really became aware of some of the work at the U.S. State Department in the Bureau of Conflict and Stabilization Operations. And so then I, I made the move over and, I, and I've been there for a number of years now working on uh, the the ways that we can take advantage of geospatial data feeds and tools and things like AI and machine learning uh, to really augment the work that we're doing in the, the foreign policy space. You never really think about that geography aspect to things when you talk about tech or when I'm talking to a lot of federal tech leaders. That background doesn't really come up a lot as far as technology, IT, analytics. So it's kind of interesting to see that connection in action. Like, what got you interested in geography? Well, everything happens somewhere, <laughs> uh, I will say. Um, I actually got started in geography um, when I was doing my undergraduate degree at uh, Eastern Kentucky University. And I, I took Geography 101 as a general education requirement. And I had no idea that that was, you know, a career path and a field of study. And I, I just absolutely fell in love with all of the, the things, the exploration of it, the new tools, the new ways of, of doing analysis. And that I, I was just really hooked from that point on. And I, I went on and did a, a master's uh, in geography and a, a PhD as well. Awesome. So tell me more about this Locate team. How did you get started there? Kind of what led to the creation of it? Yeah, Locate, it stands for Location-Based Observations for Conflict Analysis, Trends, and Evidence. Uh, a very long name, but a really cool acronym to use, Locate. Uh, it really stemmed from 
my position, I was formerly uh, the Europe analyst in CSO's Office of Advanced Analytics, where I was doing kind of conflict analysis and monitoring uh, the war in Ukraine for several years. And I was really thinking about like how we could take advantage of a lot of these newer big data sets, new sources of information, and, and really start including that in some of the foreign foreign overseas programs that we administer out of the Bureau, because, as, you know, as the Conflict and Stabilization Operations Bureau, we're often working in places that can be quite dangerous on the ground. And these remote technologies that we can take advantage of, you know, were, were something that I wanted to, to develop uh, the use of a little bit more. So this new team I have been building out really thinks about all the different ways you can apply these technologies. So thinking about a trusty early warning or a trusty documentation or a civilian ceasefire monitoring, all of these types of things are, are applications of this technology. So it's taking that kind of core understanding of the tools and its capabilities and then using that to help us understand better what's happening around the world. So what are some examples of what the team has been able to, I guess, put into practice some of these tools and what that really meant for the broader conversation of conflict? Well, I, th I think the, the best example is a program that we launched in May last year. It's called the Conflict Observatory. And that program was something that I worked with folks in, in my bureau to design prior to the Russian uh, invasion of February 24th last year. And we were really looking ahead and thinking about what might happen. And so we were, we part of the CSO's role is to kind of look around the corner and devise strategies ahead of time in case they're needed. And so, you know, with my previous role as a Ukraine analyst, I, I was thinking about, you know, what happens in the, in armed conflict situations, you know, one is that, Groups on the ground have to leave because it's too dangerous. When fighting starts happening in civilian areas, you know, obviously people are caught caught in that, and often it leads to war crimes and human rights abuses and and things of that nature. And so we were really thinking about how could that documentation happen remotely. And and so the conflict observatory is a program that we launched that is using all these geospatial data feeds to document Russia and its proxies, um, their war crimes and other abuses on the ground in Ukraine. And so they're publishing a lot of this evidence uh, publicly. Well, I, I won't say evidence because that has a legal connotation, but this information, they're publishing it uh, publicly on uh, the, the, their website. But they're also, and I think this is a really critical part of the work, is that they're following international legal standards. Uh, so there are, there are guidelines out there, uh, such as the Berkeley Protocol on Digital Open Source Investigations. So there's these kind of standards that you follow if you want to do documentation uh, using geospatial information, way used uh, in future justice and accountability mechanisms. And so that's really the, the foundational principle of the conflict observatory is that we're taking satellite imagery and other geospatial data and analyzing it in you know standard ways that are very well documented. And then it, we're able to provide to the public uh, this really reliable information about what is happening on the ground in Ukraine. 
I want to get into more about what that data really looks like, because you were telling me earlier how you're really looking at it in layers or compiling it into layers to make new insights. So I really think that's really interesting. Can you go into that? Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, and I'll say this is partially based on uh, my previous work before I came to the State Department. I was at the American Association for the Department of Science, and I ran the Geospatial Technologies Project there. So I actually worked on some international court cases uh, while there. And so in building out uh, kind of it, we would call them an investigation file, uh, there the key thing is, is that, you know, you're trying to show in as many ways possible that something happened in a specific location on a specific date. And so the, the key is triangulating multiple data feeds. So you want to find as many different types of information that are all pointing to that same conclusion so that it's more reliable. So we would want to take advantage of, um, you know, different types of satellite imagery. So there are uh, electro-optical, uh, visible types of satellite imagery. There's radar. There are thermal detections. Um, that's all on the kind of remote sensing end of things. But then there's work that you can do in kind of the open source investigations end of things. So that's going through Twitter and Telegram and all of these things and looking for uh, both photos and videos and geolocating those, you can find identifying features in, in that the visible things that people are sharing online and tie those to specific locations. And then also statements. So uh, public officials and, and things like that, because I think um, in the in the case of what's happening in Ukraine right now, uh, there has been a lot of uh, public statements and things uh, about what's happening. And so it's really about compiling all of those different feeds of information and, and using them all together to come to a conclusion. Considering the information age we're in and just how much information we're getting out of the situation in Ukraine, I mean, that's a lot of data and a lot of opportunity to kind of sift through. You're talking about Twitter, you're talking about social media, there's geospatial data, of course, sensors. Really, is there anywhere that you haven't looked yet? <laughs> well, I, I will say that, so the, the Conflict Observatory is a, a cooperative agreement. And so we have a number of teams that are part of that. So we have awesome. uh, Esri, we have the Yale Humanitarian Research Lab, we have the Smithsonian Cultural Rescue Initiative, and a group called Planetscape AI. And so each of them have their areas of expertise and, and the research that they're doing. And so um, the Planetscape AI group, for example, is doing a lot of our automation and doing uh, automated damage assessments across Eastern Ukraine so that we get um, a very fine level of detail about exactly when structures were destroyed. And that's using daily satellite imagery. Uh, the Smithsonian Cultural Rescue Initiative team is doing monitoring of cultural sites. So museums and monuments and churches and all of those types of things. They're using their specific expertise to, to look at those. And then the, the team at the Yale Humanitarian Research Lab is thinking about more kind of the traditional human rights uh, violation types of things. And they've been looking at um, uh, extrajudicial killings and uh, forced deportations. Uh, they've been 
documenting damage to hospitals and medical facilities and, and, and all those types of things. And so altogether, uh, there's, we're, we're still not entirely, we're, we're adding up all the folks. I would say we have at least 70 people that are, that are doing research as part of this grant. And so, you know, they're able to, to triage a lot of information. And that's a lot of how we're trying to think about using some of the kind of more automated methods uh, because there is such a large area that needs to be monitored. And so we're thinking about how you can use thermal imagery to narrow down where to look, how you could use the daily moderate resolution imagery to narrow it down because you could never have individual analysts zooming in and you know, down to like the block level and scrolling through high resolution satellite imagery to look to see, you know, if there's anything there. We have to think about, you know, how to meet that scale and the scope of what's happening. And, and we're really trying to, to leverage all the kind of latest uh, analysis tools and platforms to do just that. That's awesome. And those partnerships really bring in all kinds of different information from different angles. And some of the analysis that you're doing I mean, it can be kind of hard just from a human perspective when you're talking of things like war crimes and the recent news that you put out regarding children being relocated to Russia. Does it ever get difficult, you know, just kind of ingesting what it is this data is really telling us? Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a growing awareness kind of in the kind of open source uh, investigations field that, you know, people have to take care of themselves while they're looking at this weighty information. And so you're really starting to see more offerings for trainings uh, and, and things like that to help uh, safeguard researchers because you don't want them to to look at, you know, disturbing photos and videos for eight hours a day. And so, you know, some folks like at the University of California, Berkeley, their Human Rights Center, uh, have developed some some trainings and things like that uh, that are helping us, you know, think about how to take care of people because these researchers are so dedicated, but we also want them to take care of themselves while they're doing this type of documentation. So I, I think that that's something we in the field are becoming much more aware of now. And, and I'm really pleased that uh, support services and things are, are developing in a way that didn't exist when I started doing this type type of documentation um, longer ago than I would like to admit. <laughs> Amazing. Because when you think about the data analysis and things like that, and then of course, you know, looping in all those data sources that it's not just numbers and here it's visual, it's, you have to, it's hard. Um, so I can only imagine. And I, I do want to ask more about the recent news that you put out regarding the children re relocation. So how, how did that come to be with this data analysis that you're doing, these partnerships, the, you know, the layers, the kind of the stories you're telling through the data collection that you're performing? How did that lead to the situation with the children and kind of like, what are the next steps about it? Yeah, so that research was done by the Yale Humanitarian Research Lab, one of the, the partners on the Conflict Observatory. And they have a, a really strong team that does kind of the open source investigation. So they've been monitoring um, the statements of Russian officials, 
um, on, you know, Telegram, on Twitter, um, on on local websites. They have uh, folks that have kind of specific language skills uh, to be able to really understand the nuances on that, that end of things. And also there's just been, um, you know, a lot of photos and statements from families and and lots of information that's been shared out in the public and they and I will say that all the information that that went into that report is information that was shared publicly mm -hmm. it's really just having the skills to find it and that and it's it's a hard, it can be a hard thing to do but the the team um basically just started you know compiling information and making sure that they had you know enough pieces of information that would point to each site so part of the the Berkeley protocol that I mentioned is that you to, that, to have a high confidence in a finding, you want to have five separate pieces of information that point to that thing. And so all of the, the locations are 43 total in, in the report. Those were the ones that were identified with a high level of confidence. And so there are other sites and things like that that, that didn't have that at, at the point of publication. And so the, the team uh, will continue to monitor and and out that documentation as more events uh, happen, as more information comes out over time, they're going to continue to update uh, that information. But it really is, um, you know, a lot of detective work and a lot of compilation and, and really uh, having a good understanding of where the conversations are happening online. That's awesome. So taking into account that plus all the work that you kind of put together and analyze, what does the process look like as far as next steps? What is done with this analysis? So uh, a lot of the information is actually public. It's on conflictobservatory.org. And so that's a great resource for, for folks to go to and, and see all of, the, all of the reports that have been produced to date. There's been 17 so far, uh, and, and many more are, are in the works. But the other aspect of this uh, program is that we want this information to be available to justice and accountability mechanisms. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard, you know, uh, the statements from from uh, the Secretary of State, from the Ambassador at Large for Global Criminal Justice, and others that that you know the United States is is committed to supporting. The, the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian people, uh, however we can. And so, you know, that can be uh, support from the conflict observatory to the justice and accountability processes. Awesome. As a legal buff myself, I would love to hear more about what that legal side looks like. Um, so I'm interested in digging more into that. But did you ever think when you were getting into more geography and kind of learning more about what that entailed. Did you think it would lead to doing the work that you're doing now as far as the Ukraine-Russia conflict? I I honestly, I feel like this, uh, where I'm at is has strangely made sense when I look back on it. I think at the time, at any particular point, if you had asked me that question, I would have <laughs> said, well, there's no way. Um, for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think that this is really a culmination. And I think it's important to have it's important to have folks at in government agencies that have specific types of uh, functional expertise so that we can be 
to think about designing programs like the conflict observatory and drawing on you know our our previous expertise and work uh, and and really leveraging that to support you know our foreign policy goals so i i think at different points if somebody had told me i would be working at the state department uh doing a program that is focused on war crimes documentation in Ukraine. There's a lot of reasons that I might not have expected that to, to be the case. Um, but I, I'm really proud that I am here and that, you know, uh, Ukraine is a place that I've spent uh, a lot of time in and, and care very much about uh, the people of Ukraine. And so I'm just very proud that I'm able to help uh, on this one, one facet of, of the support the U.S. government is giving to the Ukrainian people. That's fantastic. And I, I really appreciate you talking to me about some of this work and what it really means and just your path to get there, because a lot of people don't really think about that. You know, they don't know, well, what can I do with my career in tech? And how, how does geography connect to that? So I really appreciate you talking to me about your journey to this incredible mission and organization that you, you are leading. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Amy. That was just an amazing conversation. I learned so much about what's being accomplished by the Locate team. And again, I'm just so impressed by the real world impact that data analytics can have. Before we let our listeners go, do you have any last takeaways that you want to leave them with? I think what's really interesting is all this data, all all this work that she and her team are working on is available publicly. So you can go in and actually look at all the things that she's talking about and kind of mapping the layers of data to make your own observations. And I think that's the most important thing to take away from this is this isn't like a secret and the data is available. It's out there and it's something that can lead to a lot of good in the world, especially considering some of the grave, you know, things going on that we not often want to talk about, but I think this is really cool and I'll drop the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, please do. Well, we encourage our listeners to check out that link for more information. We here at GovCIO Media and Research will continue to keep an eye on the Locate team and how what their work is doing is really making an impact. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new GovCast. But until then, thank you for listening. I'm Alexander Bolova. I'm Amy Kluber. Thank you for listening. GovCast, along with HealthCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. If you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com. 